May it please the Court, Your Honor, James Worsh on behalf of Pellants. Um, this case, we respectfully request that the, Your, your Honors uh, reverse the grants of summary judgment against uh, Mr. Aldridge, Ms. Franks, and Ms. Brown. Uh, all three of them were engaged in a protest of police activity uh, when they were, uh, without cause or justification, uh, pepper sprayed by um, Defendant Olson. <laughs> The, uh, I think the, the contours of this case are, are governed by some recent cases of this court. Uh, Welch v. Dempsey, which was decided a few months ago, uh, which was a, a held that uh, someone who was standing near the police videotaping them uh, and was pepper sprayed that a reasonable jury could find that her exercise of her First Amendment rights was a but-for cause uh, of the use of force. So I was going to ask you, uh, Mr. Worsh, have you had a chance to read our Laney decision that just came down a few days ago? Well, unfortunately, I am a lawyer on that case. Uh, so, okay. so yes, I have. Okay. <laughs> so how do you feel that that impacts the analysis in, in this case? Well, I, I think in Laney, um, you have a very different situation. I think the, the court emphasized that uh, you had a person who was behind a police barricade uh, who was rapidly approaching officers who had uh, his arms out towards uh, the bike of a police officer, and that um, under those circumstances, uh, a reasonable officer could say that that one person was uh, threatening uh, the officer and that the use of pepper spray under those circumstances was appropriate. Uh, th that, that, that situation is not presented here. Uh, there's no person who's behind uh, a barricade. Uh, there's you know, no tussling with bikes, no force being used between officers. At best, you have... Uh, uh, a person who's engaged in heated uh, discussion uh, with, with one of the officers, and, that, and that's not one of the three people. I mean, we'll be talking about him later this afternoon or later this morning. Um, so I would agree that the facts here are very different, but uh, how would you respond to the argument that uh, video evidence shows that in this case, uh, Officer Olston deployed the pepper spray in response to a shot from the crowd and not in response to anything that uh, Mr. Aldrich did? I would say that that's not what Officer Olston says. Um, in his deposition testimony, he never mentions the issue of this uh, shout, of the uh, shut this down um, uh, that's, that's stated there. He stated very clearly in his deposition that his intention was to target Mr. Brandy uh, and, to, and to disperse the crowd. Um, he, he never mentions this issue of, of uh, the person who, who uh, yelled that out. So you're saying that that's a, a jury issue as to but for causation? Yes, Your Honor. Well, we're going to talk about Mr. Brandy a little bit more in a, in a few minutes, but let's assume for purposes of argument that he was directing the pepper spray at Brandy and that he was doing it in, in because of the, the cursing and threats that not threats, uh, I won't use that word, the cursing and statements that Mr. Brandy was making. How do you, how, what's your response to the argument that the other three people that you're representing, they were, I don't want to say innocent bystanders to the pepper spray, but they were just bystanders and it was not directed at them in retaliation? Well, I, I would point your, your honor to the, to the video and I would also point your honor to the decision in Laney. One thing you notice in Laney if you, if you watch that video, is that the officer there goes up to Mr. Laney, pepper sprays him in the face, and moves on. That's not what Officer Olston did in this case. Officer Olston pepper sprays Mr. Brandy and Mr. Aldridge, uh, but then proceeds to walk into the crowd and start indiscriminately pepper spraying a bunch of people, 
uh, including, uh, you know, the, th the three of them, including a woman who's in a wheelchair. Um, I mean, he, he, he was not, this was not incidental after spray. This was not um, merely just, you know, misdirecting it or, or somehow getting some, hitting people behind him. I mean, he, he actively uses a sweeping motion to spray everyone who's in front of him, all of whom are protesters. Well, that, that brings up the issue of, of sometimes described as targeting. Here, Mr. Aldrich had an interaction with, Ms. with Officer Olston. There were words exchanged. He was obviously aware of his presence. But that's not, the, that's not true of the, uh, the, the other appellants, is it? No, but I, I would, Your, Your Honor, under, under these circumstances where you have um, people who are actively protesting police behavior and who are responding <coughs> to violence that was used against you know, a, a minister uh, in, the, in the minutes before this, and they are, they, are, they are there standing, they're questioning the police tactics collectively. And they are there collectively protesting those actions. Uh, and they are all there as part of that protest. He, he, I mean, whether or not it's going through his mind, this person, this person, this person, he is looking at this crowd of protesters and he is intentionally spraying um, everyone who's in front of him. Uh, he's targeting everyone who's there because they are protesters. Uh, so I, I would, you know, emphasize again, you know, unlike um, some of the other decisions uh, by this court, in this case, there's, you know, no, no cir circumstances where the crowd is throwing objects. There's no violent behavior. Um, in addition, I think we also have to look at uh, Officer Olson's behavior here, uh, that, that he was an aggressor in the situation. He was goading the protesters. Uh, he was uh, moving towards them, and that, that shows and it's additional evidence a jury can consider of his retaliatory animus. I mean, he, he, is, he, is, he is itching for a fight um, with, with the various protesters. Um, the, um, I would also direct your, the court's attention to the, the case in um, Green, uh, in Megan Green versus the city of St. Louis which was uh, recently decided by this court, um, in which, which the uh, court found that the, Ms. Green had submitted a submissible case um, when she argued that she was participating in a protest an hour beforehand and was targeted uh, by uh, SWAT team members in a Bearcat with chemical munitions as well uh, for, for being a protester. And, and this court found that that was uh, enough to, to submit a case. Now, that was on a motion to dismiss. But I, I compare that to the to the other the persons you're talking about here who are part of the crowd. I mean, again, um, he's targeting them. He's not. There are other people there who are at the Cardinal game. He's not. He's not just aiming at anyone. He's aiming at protesters. He's aiming at these people because they are the ones who are who are, who are taking the stand against the police in the street. And he's a police officer. What's your response to the argument that? A lawful command to back up was given, and they refused. They didn't. They refused a, a lawful command to back up. I, I would say that that I think that the evidence of what um, the backing up is. I mean, it was, there was some soft, you know, back up, back up, and, and Mr. Olson himself said, "Keep coming, keep coming." I mean, he, he was trying to goad them into coming. Uh, regardless, I, I, there is a point prior to this happening where the. Uh, protesters do stop. They're no longer advancing. Uh, I would argue taking a couple steps back. Um, but ultimately, even if it's considered that that's a violation of the law for failure to obey, that doesn't give the officers uh, grounds to use force. Uh, there has to be something more 
uh, for them to use force, and especially in this case where it's retaliatory, um, the, the fact that whether or not they are or are not technically violating the law does not give Officer Olston the uh, right to retaliate against uh, these folks for using their First Amendment, for exercising their First Amendment rights. Um, I would also uh, note that um, you know Lieutenant Jemerson, who is the head of the, the civilian uh, response disobedience response team um, for the city, you know, looked at this video, looked at the situation, and said that he did not believe Officer Olson should have used pepper spray in the, situ in the situation; that there was no reason to do so. Uh, you also see that uh, Officer Olson is not showing fear. Uh, he's, he's not, uh, and, and the other officers are not responding in a way where, where they are concerned about the crowd at that point um, moving towards them or, or, or in, that act, in that activity. Um, you know, in, in all, um, you know, this court has repeatedly found in situations like this that when peaceful protesters are, are uh, doused with chemical munitions, that uh, defendant's motive is not so free from doubt as to justify taking this from the jury. And that's what the situation that we have here. Counsel, as to uh, Frank and Brown, don't, doesn't there have to be at least some something that the jury could look to to show that uh, the officer knew that they were there and was somehow targeting his retaliation against them in order for that to get to a jury? I mean, in this circumstance, I, I, there is. I mean, in this circumstance... Frankly, Officer Olson was simply out of control, and, and he seemed to have a vendetta against the, these protesters for being there as protesters. And you know whether or not he specifically said, "I want to go after Ms. Franks for X," I mean, that's, in this situation where he is going into the crowd of protesters and he is going side to side, spraying everyone, he is intending to retaliate against all of them because they are there, because they are there protesting police activity. Uh, protesting what he does for a living. And I think under these particular circumstances, there is enough to show that he is retaliating against all of the people present um, for expressing their First Amendment rights. So, I will reserve my time. All right, thank you. Mr. Laird? All right, thank you. You may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, Mr. Worsh. Laird. My name is Brian Milliken. I represent Officer Olston in this litigation. Um, I would like to just address two quick points um, that Mr. Worsh just touched on. Um, first of all, uh, Mr. Olston in his deposition uh, mentioned two real reasons for deploying MACE um, when he did. And, and first was uh, Mr. Brandy, who he perceived as a threat. But it was the crowd as well who was coming in on from the front and from his left and right. And if you look at the video, the video is very telling because just before deploying the mace, he looks to his right and his left and sprays. And at that point, his purpose was to um, disperse the crowd. You know, they had tried multiple times to give commands to get back, which did not work. Well, counsel, I think that kind of goes to Judge Malloy's question. Um, it seems to me that this was an evolving 
situation, and uh, you could interpret the video as showing the order to get back was with regard to the arrest of, I think it was Mr. Kennedy, and that once that situation was secured, does that order to get back just go on in perpetuity? Well, Your Honor, over a period of 54 seconds, there were eight commands to get back, at least that we could hear on the video. So it wasn't just one command to get back. And the other thing that you have to understand is that during this time, there was a barricade at, I believe that was Walnut, Broadway and Walnut, which prevented the officers from backing up. Not that they're, that they're required to under the law, but they couldn't back up. There was also traffic on that roadway. So the, as more and more protesters, and we counted up to 50 at one point that was coming back to that intersection, they had no choice, and, and you either obey and back up or stop at least advancing, or uh, police officers have to take action in that, at that point. Well, what about the fact that Olson was, he was advancing on the protesters and the other police officers were trying to hold him back? Well, I think at one point he did take a step or two forward towards, back towards where the protesters were, but again, there was very little room where they had taken those gentlemen into custody. You've got other policemen directly behind him. And so they have um, every, you know, just for officer safety purposes, they need to try to create room. And the room was back up, back up. They gave numerous commands, not just Officer Olston, but other officers as well gave numerous commands to back up. Um, Council, I'd like to, in the interest of time, go back to what I see as a sort of a threshold question that we haven't addressed. Uh, in a First Amendment retaliation claim, uh, the retaliatory conduct doesn't need to be actionable in itself, such as excessive force. So didn't the district court here err in applying the Fourth Amendment standard to a First Amendment claim? And, and where does that leave us? And I think you're speaking just of Aldrich. Yes. Is that correct, Your Honor? Well, I think... And when you read the order, um, I think that Judge Clark, the district court, found that Officer Olston, under all of the circumstances, under the particular facts and circumstances of this case, acted objectively reasonable. And if you have that finding, if you're making the finding that the officer was objectively reasonable in his actions, you can't also then find that he retaliated for a person exercising their First Amendment right well, to not, speak. I'm not sure that's correct under Cody versus Weber. Judge, I, I mean, I, I, I haven't. I have to go back and look at that case. But um, again, I don't see how. They, In other they words, seem if, if the retaliation involves force that's not excessive, it could still be actionable under the First Amendment, if not under the Fourth. But as a, if a police officer is acting in retaliation. I don't think you can also find that that's reasonable, objectively reasonable. I think those two things are mutually exclusive. Well, there's two different tests. I'm sorry? There are two different tests under the various amendments. I, again, I, I, I think that the way I read Judge Clark's opinion, that's what he was essentially finding, that, hey, I, I think that in looking at the totality of the circumstances, he, he acted reasonably, and therefore there could be no retaliation or well, that, That's violation. what he held. I'm just questioning whether that's consistent with Cody versus Weber. I, I can't answer that question, Judge. I'd have to go back and, and review that case. But I think that the 
other part of this is, um, you know, I think we've covered the third element of the First Amendment uh, violation analysis, which is basically retaliation. Uh, I do want to say, though, that that is the, the appellant's, or the, yeah, the appellant's uh, burden to prove that. But the second part of this is that there is no case that would clearly establish um, prior to this incident occurring that what Officer Olson did was uh, a violation of a constitutional right. If you look at the cases that are cited by appellants, none of them involve the particularized facts of this case. Um, they, the, the case that we have cited, Bernini, I think is most appropriate um, because in that case you've got officers telling the protesters it's a protest situation, you've got officers telling them to get back, they refuse to get back, and they deploy uh, non-lethal munitions including uh, pepper spray. Um, and so I think that that case illustrates, even though it's not Olson's burden to prove, that there was uh, clearly established law, but I think that the clearly established law in the case indicates that once a, a protester re refuses a reasonable um, command of an officer to get back, and uh, I think at that point it's no longer lawful, it's no longer peace peaceable, and it's no longer protected speech. Mr. Milken, would you like to save the rest of your time? For yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Please the court. Uh, Mr. Wirsch, Mr. Milliken, my name is Brandon Laird. I represent the city of St. Louis and Commissioner Hayden. Um, essentially, our argument is um, that, the, that this court should affirm uh, each of the three district court findings that because there was no constitutional violation that there cannot then therefore be any uh, Monell liability against the city. And then to affirm, I believe, the unchallenged um, claims that uh, uh, Commissioner Hayden is entitled to qualified immunity on the failure to intervene claims. Um, our, our position is very similar to that of, of Officer Olson's in that there was no uh, First Amendment violation because essentially there was no First Amendment activity. Um, in a, in a, How can you say there was no First Amendment activity? Well, because it was an unlawful assembly. Um, it was already found that way in the in, prior to the summary judgment, Officer Olson was um, charged and tried in a, in a criminal um, in a, in a criminal matter arising out of this very incident, out of that um, use of pepper spray. And the judge in that case, in a bench trial, had a finding of fact that the, that the assembly itself was no longer lawful once the individuals were failing to obey uh, commands of the officer. Are, are you arguing that that finding is binding on us? I'm not arguing that it's necessarily binding, but when you, but it's not necessarily binding, I guess, as a matter of law, but when you have one judge you know, looking at the same exact facts and finding that it is an unlawful assembly and that there is no protected activity, um, I think that that's extremely persuasive um, that he was looking at the same record. Um, I also think that the activity of Mr. Brandy, which I know we're going to get into later, um, plays into this and in that the, the threats being made by Mr. Brandy towards um, Officer Olston and with the um, individuals, particularly Mr. Aldridge, who was standing right next to Mr. Brandy at the time of these, um, threats being made, and then um, the other two appellants who, who arrived sometime later, failing to, um, you know, 
hearing these threats, must have been able to hear these threats and voluntarily standing next to that person uh, while disobeying um, lawful orders of the officer, take it outside of the protections of the First Amendment. Counsel, you're, you're characterizing the statements as threats, but it's my understanding that whether they were threats or not would be a jury issue. Um, that would be that that would be a, a legal issue because if whether or not it's a threat whether or not if, if it's a threat then it's not protected activity um, and that has to be decided by the court and that goes um, that comes down from what if it's a conditional threat I still think it takes it outside of the protect I still think it's unprotected activity I don't know how you can make a, a conditional threat to a police officer in the middle of a protest well what, one of the factors in determining whether something's a threat or not is whether it's conditional. It, it, yes, but it also you also have to look at whether how it was received by the officer and, and the other circumstances surrounding it, whether or not he had the ability to carry it out, um, whether or not it was directed at the person who was there. I think that is one of the condition, one of the elements that you would look at for whether or not it's a true threat versus um, whether or not it's, I, I suppose, conditional. Well, it seems to me that works against your argument if you if you if you say how it was perceived, because because the officer says after. After Brandy says, I'm going to F you up, he says, come and F me up, and then he advances. So he obviously wasn't feeling very threatened at that point. Well, I think that that actually goes towards whether or not he thought Mr. Brandy could do something. I mean, he wouldn't say, I, what, I, I don't know that he was afraid Mr. Brandy was going to win the fight, but I certainly think he thought there was a chance Mr. Brandy was going to do it. Um, and I think So that why would he taunt him and advance on him then? Well, but I don't know whether... Whether or not Mr. Whether or not Officer Olson taunted him doesn't change whether or not what Mr. Brandy said was a threat, and I don't. And, and whether or not that statement was a threat is is the protected activity in question. So once Mr. Brandy offers that threat, it, his behavior is now taken outside the protections of the First Amendment. Whether or not Officer Olson egged it on or engaged it does not affect the protections offered to Brandy um, under the First Amendment analysis. Um, the second point to address the issue brought up on Mr. Milliken's argument regarding um, the Fourth Amendment standard um, being applied in the Aldridge case to the First Amendment claims, um, the way that, and I addressed this in my brief, the way that I square that with Cody and other cases referenced um, by the Cody case, including Madewell, Sprouse, and Wright, is that there was no specific finding in those cases that the actions by those First of all, all of those cases come out of a, a prison or an inmate setting. Those are all actions taken by corrections officers who are doing things like um, searches of cells or, or, or things with um, access to particular procedures of inmates. And second, there was no finding in any of those cases that the actions by the inmate, by the, by the defendants, were reasonable. They were just simply saying, look, the action, the act of searching a cell in a prison in and of itself is not a constitutional violation, but when you're doing it in retaliation for having done something, then it puts it within the First Amendment, the First Amendment Counsel, realm. What, what does the concept of reasonableness have to do with the First Amendment? Well, if an action is, it, the, 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 the very test for determining whether something is reasonable is to look at the full totality of the circumstances, everything that's going on at that time. So if something, looking at all of those circumstances, the fact that you were at a protest, the fact that people were shouting at you, the fact that there were potentially arguably threats um, being, being made towards you, that people are, are not obeying commands to back up. When you're looking at the full totality of the circumstances, 
Um, Isn't that analyzed under the third factor in a retaliation claim, which is the the causal connection? Yes, it is. It is under the third claim. And I think that's why if you find that it's reasonable, if you find looking at all of these, the entire circumstances. But it's a different test. But how, how can they be... How can something be both a reasonable? How can a person objectively act reasonably and still violate the Constitution? What's how does your best that case that, that, that so holds, that applies the reasonableness in the First Amendment context? There isn't one. There isn't one that, that directly addresses that on point. And that's part of the issue that I've had in briefing some of these cases is trying to square that, of trying to figure out, particularly in this case, if you do believe, if the judge did look at this and find as a matter of law that he acted objectively reasonably, reasonable, how can it then, looking at the totality of the circumstances, one of, how, can, how can you then find that it was in retaliation for anything else? That would be, to, to Judge Gradge's point, that would go to the third element of, of retaliation, that there has to be some um, causation there. And I see that my time Thank is you. up. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Worsh. Very briefly, Your Honor, I, I think Your Honor's targeted a few important questions here, specifically about the, the factual nature of whether or not this was a threat. Um, as, as I know we're not talking about Mr. Brandy quite yet, but as Judge Hamilton found, uh, whether or not his uh, speech uh, traversed into unlawful uh, speech or unprotected speech uh, is a fact question for the jury. And all those things... Um, uh, that decision that, that, that needs to be decided by a jury. Um, what, if we, what if we decide that it is, we can look at the tape and the, what was actually said and decide it was a threat? Where does that leave us? Well, as to Mr. Brandy, um, uh, there, there might be an issue. If, if you find as a matter of law that's a threat, we would, we would strongly argue against that for the factors that uh, your court has already observed that um, he... Uh, that, that it was not a serious threat, it was also a conditional threat, and the actions of um, Officer Olston uh, show that he did not believe it was a real threat. Uh, otherwise, he would not have advanced on him, and he would have not have continued to goad him. Uh, that's not the activities of a person who feels threatened. Um, but as far as the three people who are in front of you uh, right now, uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it has any effect, because, again, th- this isn't a situation where uh, there was a simple after spray or you know, someone was behind uh, Mr. Brandy, uh, this is a situation where Officer Olston steps into the crowd, um, you know, and, and sprays side to side, targeting various protesters. And, and on that end, um, you know, Mr. Milliken said that here. I mean, the, you, your honors had a question about whether or not there's enough evidence in the record uh, that he targeted uh, them, but Mr. Milliken got up here and said that one of the rationale that he had was to target protesters. Now, his stated rationale was to uh, uh, get them to disperse. But uh, Officer Olson definitely was targeting more than one person in this, in this crowd. He was targeting the protesters to get them uh, to go away. Uh, and, and we believe the evidence supports the, the inference that he did that for a retaliatory reason. Um, Mr. Milliken also mentioned uh, stuff about the barricade and things like that that I, I think are certainly uh, things he can argue at trial. Uh, I would also just note again that the head of the CDT team here, uh, uh, Lieutenant Jemerson, who's much more well-versed in the operations of crowd control and crowd response, I mean, he's the one in charge of this whole operation, uh, did not believe that, that the circumstances warranted the actions that were taken by Officer Olson. So um, if reasonable police officers can disagree about that, then certainly that's something that needs to be resolved by a jury. 
Council, I'd like to revisit the uh, argument that this was an unlawful assembly mm -hmm. and that once the order to back up had been given, uh, there was, uh, there was uh, illegal activity taking place. And so, therefore, there was no First Amendment activity. Could you well, – where's the line there? Where, where do these orders to back up uh, – how far do they go? Well, I, I think um, it's, an unlawful assembly requires, under the state and local ordinance, requires that there be uh, six or more people acting in concert to engage in violent activity. Um, and, and so under those standards, there's not an unlawful assembly here. There's people who are, you know, who walked from one place to another and they stopped. I, 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 don't, I think the evidence is very uh, contradictory whether or not they were continuing to advance. I think the video shows people stopping and, and just expressing their anger at what happened. Um, and so I don't think that there's an unlawful assembly, and I think uh, that line hasn't been crossed here. Um, you have people who were simply observing. Some, some people were saying things. Other, everyone was there to uh, observe the police and, and ask the question collectively why they did what they did to, to Reverend Gray and Mr. Kennedy. Um, so I don't, I don't think we get into an unlawful assembly. This is not like Bernini where you, know, you have actually you know, throwing objects, a violent crowd, actively pushing towards the police, being, you know, warned to stop and they keep approaching the police. Again, you know, they, they, they did stop here. Um, and I, and I, there's just not evidence of, a, of an unlawful assembly here. That's my time. Thank you. We appreciate uh, your arguments and the case is submitted.